One of the emphases of the liturgical renewal in the Western churches, now nearly 50 years ago, was the importance of the restoration of the Sunday as being at the center of our worship life. And what I mean by that is that in liturgical churches that have saints' days, like the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church, the Sunday was often moved if there was a saints' day and was not kept as a, a day of resurrection. And so when we renewed the liturgy, one of the things we did was to say that every Sunday is a day of a celebration of the day of resurrection, and we're not going to transfer it for some for the feast of Mother Cabrini's shoes. We're going to do it under certain circumstances that are uh, a necessary and important feast of the Incarnation, uh, other thing, your patronal feast, St. Luke's Day, that kind of thing. So I mention this because the Episcopal Church also is the only church uh, that has a commemoration for Independence Day. But because of this uh, principle, I'm not reading the readings for Independence Day, and I'm not using the collect for Independence Day except at the end. So if you want to hear it, listen to Father Emerson after the prayers of the people, pray the collect for Independence Day. So that means the preacher is faced with a dilemma. We have three readings that are excellent that I want to preach on, and it is Independence Day. So might there be anything in the readings for the Sunday that would have something to do with Independence Day? And so you've heard me tell this story many times in an old Honeymooners episode many, many years ago. Ed Norton and Ralph Cramden wanted to get onto the police force in New York, and they had to take a test. And one of the things in the test was manual dexterity. So that meant they were timed while they put certain shaped blocks into the appropriate hole in the, in the jig for the purpose to see how fast they could do this. And at one point in the episode, Ralph Cramden is doing this exercise, and Ed Norton says to him, Ralph, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. And Ralph Cramden says, you can if you force it. So maybe that's what I'm doing. You bear with me, I hope, and will forgive me. But I think we'll be able to make some connections. So you see if there are connections that have any value or not. The first reading from Second Kings is a story. It is a healing story. Uh, about a man who is not a, a person of, of the people of Israel, Naaman the Syrian. He is the head of the army of the king of Syria, a very powerful and important person. The Syrian army is more powerful than the Israeli army, and the king of Syria is more powerful than the king of Israel. But in the course of their battles and conquests, they capture a slave girl who is from Israel, and she becomes the attendant of Naaman's wife. And she says, or rather the king's wife, I'm sorry, and she says, 
you know, Naaman has leprosy. And if he were to go to Israel, there are prophets in Israel who can heal him. So Naaman is thinking it's like going to Podunk to get healed, right? But he tells this to the king of Syria who says, that's all right, I'll send a message to the king of Israel. I will send him some gold. You bring some gold and you'll bring a bunch of gifts and things and you come there and tell him that you want to be healed of your leprosy. So the king of Israel gets this word and he tears his clothes because he thinks, well, I can't heal this guy. And this powerful group with their army want to come here and so on. So word of this gets to Elisha, the prophet, Elijah's successor. Elisha's in his house. He sends a message to the king of Israel. And he said, listen, have him come here. They need to know that there is a prophet in Israel. They'll, they need to know, which is the main point of this story, that the messianic salvation that we believe is going to be for everyone will be a feature of the healing of Naaman. Because it was believed in the ancient Near East that nobody could heal leprosy except the Messiah at the coming judgment. So Naaman shows up and he goes to, he's directed to the house of Elisha and he goes there. I think in, in modern reckoning, it would be like a division, a tank corps showing up at Elisha's house. Okay? That's what it's, we're dealing with here. Powerful. And he is outside. I'm here. And Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. He has a minion in his house go out on the front porch and say, Elisha says that you should go bathe in the River Jordan and you'll be healed. Naaman says, well, you'd think that he'd at least come out himself. I don't like the way I'm being treated. Fortunately, one of his servants says to him, you know, if he'd have asked you to do some big complicated thing, you would have done it. But all he's asked you to do is to bathe in the River Jordan. Well, are not the rivers Arbana and Farpar far greater rivers in Syria than this little dinky thing? It's beneath his dignity. And the slave says to him, it can't hurt that might help. Why don't you do it? So he does, and he's healed. Now, as I mentioned, the point of reading this story is that we see embedded in the sacred literature of the Hebrew Bible the messianic expectations of people who will believe are now fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ and that a feature of the messianic salvation is that it is for everyone. It is not just for the people of Israel. 
that God's saving embrace extends to everyone and that for those who have difficulty with this, they, all they need to do is to consult our sacred literature and they will see that in the biblical witness we have seen this said and spoken about prior to Jesus. And remember, Elijah and Elisha are going to loom large in people's thinking about the continuity between the great prophets of Israel and the person of Jesus Christ. So the message of the salvation offered to all and that God's plan involves this offer to all is an important feature. I'm thinking now about the 4th of July and I'm wondering on both sides of this story, both with the Syrians and with the Israeli or the people of Israel. Maybe uh, at times a little hubris, a little pride is not such a good thing and you need to put it aside. And the use of power needs to be more judicious than it often is. And that when we understand and believe that the United States of America is a work in progress and always has been, do you know that if we would have read the readings for the 4th of July, here's what we would have read. We would have read a reading from Deuteronomy that would have said, you need to look out for the alien in your country. You need to be generous with the person who isn't part of who you are. You're going to be judged on the basis of how you do that. And that's going to involve things like when you harvest your crops, leave some at the borders for the people who come to glean. That you're going to model this kind of behavior for other groups and other nations. We would have then had a reading from the epistle to the Hebrew that Hebrews that would have said something about Abraham seeking the holy city. And that in his heart and in his ideals, this is what he would wish as an obedient servant of God would be the way in which human beings would interact with one another in perpetuity. And in the Gospel from Matthew, we would have read about the necessity for all people and nations to seek the perfection that they're called to in Christ. Understood, if you read it in the original language, as maturity. You must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So today, from Second Kings, we get a little inkling about maybe the importance of humility with regard to the use of power and obedience to the word of God, which brings with it the power to heal and brings with it universal salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord. Galatians. This is the last you're going to hear about Galatians for a while. Some of you will say, oh boy, that's good. But Paul is talking today about some things. He wants to talk a little bit about a scriptural lesson. He wants to talk a little bit about practical wisdom, and he wants to give the people in Galatia a practical moral exhortation. So he's sort of summing up his letter. This is an example, by the way, 
of, you know, the biblical scholarship that talks about the uh, undoubted letters of Paul and the ones that uh, were written by his disciples. Galatians is one of the seven undoubted letters. And at the end of today's reading, he said, See what large letters I'm making when I write to you in my own hand. I, I think, what did he do? He leans over to his secretary, which is what ha- he dictated his letters when he wrote them, and said, Here, give me that. And he's writing at the end to talk to them about what he thinks is important. One of the things that's in this letter is one of the locations. We have it elsewhere in the gospel. Jesus talks about it too. I think this we have a mention here of what I call Christian karma. The karmic forces that are released in the cosmos as the result of our deeds. You know, in the Indian religions that we often call Hinduism, that's really a colonial name for all those religions. Uh, The idea of karma has something to do with your deeds in the past, your deeds in the present, and your deeds in the future, uh, creating the circumstances that you then go through in your life as being somehow the thing that determines this cause and effect. The Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam believe in God's will and in faith. But do you think it's either or? Well, Christians don't believe that. They believe this. Well, a couple of places in the New Testament, we have some reference now to your deeds being important. So maybe it's, you know... Not this or this, but sometimes something in between. What you do is important. And Paul is speaking about this and he says you're going to reap what you sow. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, my grandparents and my parents sometimes would say things in in conversations with one another. You know, I sometimes think people make their own hell on earth. I thought it was one of those tossed-off aphorisms that you used to hear all the time. Oh, well, yeah. But it might be true. It might be true. Now in the therapeutic culture, we call that, well, you know, she's made some bad choices. (laughs) He's made some unfortunate choices in his life. Yeah. So they have consequences. So what are we talking about in terms of a country. What kind of a country? We want personal responsibility and some self-discipline operating in the citizenry. We want to bear one another's burdens and be in a society that errs always on the side of compassion and generosity. You know, we've ceased to believe like they did in Jesus' day. Most Well, let's say this. A lot of people don't believe this, but in terms of what we know about the cosmos, we don't believe that there is, it's a zero-sum game, that there's only so much and that there's not enough to go around. 
God's abundance is limitless. So don't you think it would be a good society that would uh, err on the side of generosity? How about sitting lightly on our prerogatives and not misusing our power personally and corporately? And finally to say that actions do have consequences. And that's what Paul's speaking about in this particular context. He is saying the people who are going to make you Galatian Christians keep the Jewish law if you're a Gentile are seeking some other satisfaction than what is true about what has been accomplished in Christ for the world. A new creation. His internal conversion experience taught him that the creation was made new in Christ and he further came to the conclusion that this was not some unique experience that he was only to have. But as he shared it with others and connected with others who had had a similar experience, they could assist people in coming to see that this new creation was something they could share in and participate in. And that that becomes now the most important thing, being in Christ. So if you're a Jew and you keep the law, you being in Christ is what will save you. And if you're a Gentile, not keeping the law and being in Christ will save you. A lot of people have trouble living in that kind of ambiguity and paradox. But it's right in the middle of the biblical witness. And Paul is speaking of it in his epistle today. In the reading from Luke, we have Luke's version of the commissioning of the missionaries for the missionary journey. Mark and Matthew commission 12. And Luke is the only gospel where we commission 70. So what would that be all about? Well, in Jewish tradition, in the time of Jesus... It was believed that the nations numbered 70, maybe 72. That's all the nations of the world. So this missionary journey is now going to model sending people to proclaim the kingdom of God has come near you to the nations. For Luke, this is very important because he's a Gentile. And he believes that this message is for the nations. And so the disciples are now going to go to the nations. And in this particular case, we have a situation where they were very successful. They go to the various places and they come back and said, we were an enormous, it was successful. And Jesus kind of throws cold water on their enthusiasm and he says, you know, this is the result of your being a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. This isn't something, it's not all about you in this particular case. I should mention that he gave them some, some uh, instructions about what it was they were to do. And of all of the uh, missionary journey beginnings, this to me is one that is the least harsh. Those who don't listen to the message... Uh, don't have some dire thing uh, that happens to them. 
However, they are just left alone. And there is the symbolic gesture of shaking the dust off their feet, and they go on and say, nevertheless, the kingdom of God has come near you. There is no punishment that attaches to this not listening to the message other than the consequences of not listening to the message. And so what he's at pains to do here is to say, you need to not waste your time with people who are not motivated. You know, a lot of us in the helping professions and a lot of people in business and industry generally are put in the position of having to continually deal with people who are not motivated. My experience is working with unmotivated people is useless. It is useless. And we have told ourselves that that is what we have to do. And the Savior of the world says, shake them off your feet like the dust off your sandals. It's not easy to think about. You know, maybe this has something to do with the missionary zeal of patriotic Americans. A one-size-fits-all belief that we order society a certain way. I would guess most of us here believe that it is the best for people to be free, to seek their own level, to try to do the best for the most, and to commend that to other people is a good thing, you know, that we would want to do it. But the belief in a one-size-fits-all way to do that is not so hot. I remember a time in my life when we went to war when we were attacked or to defend ourselves. Not because we proactively wanted to advance our system somewhere. And that's not what the Savior is talking about today. The kingdom of God has come near you means that the highest and best of our humanity is always present in relationship in all human interaction. That is what is meant by the kingdom of God, the reign of God. And so as people labor to do that in big and small ways, as people and nations model that behavior to other people and nations, we then shift the creation off dead center into a more godly direction. And so Jesus reminds them that you should rejoice that you have been an instrument of the purposes of God. So this week, give thanks for this country. Give thanks for the highest. Whenever we act like I've just described, we have made huge strides in the world. And, and are widely admired and respected. So think about how you might be part of that in big and small ways. Think about any practical wisdom you hear from somebody that might be useful. Remember that the things that you do have consequences. 
Remember that the generous spirit is the default position for Christian people. And maybe you'll be somewhat in the spirit of the 4th of July. Amen.